0: So I want to spend our time together today, work on the back there, Rex, talking about this word, one word. This is a word I want to talk about, invite. And to talk about this word, I want to start you off with a story about how an invitation changed my life. First, a little bit of background. Most of you know my mom. My parents aren't here this weekend. They're with my brother um, on vacation. But you know her. She and my dad are the cute older people. They come in and they smile a lot. They're really nice. That's my parents. So you know my mom. But what you don't know about my mom is that when I was in middle school, which which we called junior high school back in the dark ages, and then when I was in high school, my mom worked at both of my schools as a registrar. And and truth be told, and mom's not here, so I can say this, I'm not positive what a registrar does. I never knew, and I still don't know, but it's not relevant for the story, so I just wanted you to know that. Anyway, if any of you have fond memories of your madcap pranks or hysterical antics from your middle school or high school days, I cannot relate. Because my mom worked at both of my schools. She went to school with me. Are you understanding this? That fact kept me mostly on the straight and narrow. There was one time that I was sent to the assistant principal's office. And when I got there, my mom was sitting in the chair waiting for me. Have you ever been disciplined in middle school or high school? And your mom was in the room when you were being disciplined, taking the assistant principal's side? Well, anyway, I have. Anyway, I tell you that for a reason. I don't just want to bust on mom, but I tell you the reason so you can, I tell you that for the reason that I want you to understand the beginning of my invitation story. So years ago, my mom was out shopping and she ran into John. That's his actual name. He was a friend of mine from high school and we had lost touch by this time. It was about 10 years after high school. Now, because my mom worked at my school, she knew John, she knew a lot of my friends. And so when she saw John, she called out his name. So he came over and of course he remembered my mom and they spent a little time catching up. And then he gave my mom his telephone number and said, hey, could Russell give me a call? I'd love to catch up. I'd love to talk to him. So I called him the Friday night of that week and we talked a bit. It had been a while. And then at the end of our conversation, John invited me to join him and some friends of his at a club that evening on Miami Beach. So I was not a club person. I'm still not a club person. It wasn't my thing. Left to my own devices, I never, ever would have considered going to a club. But I wanted to see John. He was, a, he was a good friend. And the place he invited me was pretty close to my apartment. I was living on Miami Beach at the time. So I said, sure. And that night, I left my comfort zone. And I met John and his friends at this club on Miami Beach. By the way, for any of you uh, Miami Beach aficionados, the club was called the Kitchen Club. And actually, even though it's a long time ago, that club has become somewhat of a legend and it still pops up. It's no longer in the original spot, but it shows up every few months at a different location. And all the old uh, punk rockers from the 1980s and 90s like to show up there. So it does show up from time to time around South Florida. But anyway, I got to the club and I walked in and I saw John right away. I mean, he hadn't changed a bit. And I went over to him and I shook his hand and he introduced me to his friends. Two of his co-workers, there was a guy named Juan, nice guy, and a girl named Beth. Beth and I started talking. And I remember thinking to myself, I really like this girl. She seems to get me. That was a big thing. If you understood my dopey sense of humor, man, that was a beautiful thing. Beth and I were married two years later. John's invitation, literally, and I don't use the word literally lightly, if you know me. But it literally changed my life. Now, why am I telling you this story today, telling you the story in church? Well, I'm telling it to you to make a point. Nearly every major change of direction in my life, and by the way, nearly every major change of direction in your life, began in one way or another with an invitation. We can all tell our story through the lens of an invitation. We can all go back to an invitation that started us off on a, on a life that we didn't know we would be living. Indeed, every single one of us in the world began, every one of us began because of an invitation, if you think about it. My son's story began with my invitation story, right? Beth and I met because of an invitation. We got married. Now there are sons. Some of the best things in my life, some of the best things in your lives resulted from an invitation. Invitations are powerful things. Invitations can change lives. An invitation can change everything. Now, at some point in our lives, there was an invitation that each of us accepted or rejected. And looking back on that moment, looking back on that invitation, that turned into a pivotal moment, a pivotal point in our lives, and in many cases, it became a defining moment in our lives. It was the invitation of a lifetime. Invitations are important, and I want you to see what that means for us here at Hammock Street after we pray so won 't you join me in a word of prayer, Father God, thank you again for gathering us together. Thank you for the community you're building here at Hammock Street. Thank you for this time that we have where we can be together with people we like in a place that we enjoy to learn about you, to get to know you better, and to have you impact our lives. So God, as we continue on this morning, we would ask that you would use whatever words we need to hear, to change our direction, to change our heart, to change our minds, and to draw us closer to you. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have a goal for today, and my goal for today is for you to leave here knowing that you have the power to change the trajectory of somebody's life, to change the trajectory of their life on earth, as well as their eternal life through the power of invitation. Here's how I know this. And it's another story. A long, long time ago. Only people who are my age or older understand that reference. I will not continue the song. But I was working in a salt mine. Over 2,000 feet beneath the earth's surface. Okay. I wasn't really working in a salt mine. I was working in a law office in West Palm Beach. It just felt like a salt mine. And anyway, I was grinding out another 16-hour day, and that's what our days look like, 16-hour days, six days a week. And I was wondering to myself, is my entire legal career going to be this miserable? I was miserable in this place, and I wasn't the only one. We had about 150 lawyers, about another 200-plus staff members, and no one was happy. It took all my willpower just to get myself up every morning. Get in the car in Boca and drive to West Palm Beach, so like be at my desk at 6: 30 a.m, just so I could work until 10: 30 p.m. that night, and then get up the next morning and do it all over again, every day, at infinitum. Uh, I'm already like I'm getting agita here. I'm getting stressed out, just thinking about that. But there was one guy in the office that wasn't miserable, one guy, and his name was Jimmy, and that was his name. And one day I had to know why I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to know why Jimmy was not as miserable as everybody else. And I said that very thing to him. I said, everybody here is so miserable except for you. Why? Why is that? What makes you so different? And it was then that he told me about Jesus and he invited me to get to know him. And that invitation changed my life. And if you care to hear the whole story, I'll go into more detail, if you like, after the service today in our new members class across the hallway in room one. Anyway, after I gave my life to Jesus, Jimmy gave me another life-changing invitation. He invited me to his church, and I started attending. Now, I'd never really gone to church before. I mean, I had been inside of churches as a tourist Or as a guest of friends over the years for one reason or another, a baby sister was christened or something like that. Or someone had passed away and I'd go to the funeral. But I'd never gone to church. I'd never gone to church with the intention of being a part of said church, of ever, ever returning to that church. I mean, I'm a Jewish guy from Miami. Why would I do that? It's not our place much like I don't know how many of you have ever visited a mosque and thought, I'm going to go back. You probably haven't. Maybe you have, but you probably haven't. But anyway, as a result of the invitation, I walked into this church, and the experience was extremely foreign to me. For example, the people, they seemed nice. They seemed definitely nice enough, but they were different to me, just different. And I couldn't put my finger on why. They were always smiling, but there was really no reason to smile And and they came across as simultaneously nice and friendly, but also stilted and reserved. It was a very weird thing, and I was totally uh, totally not used to it. You know, in in our culture, in my family, nobody holds anything back. You never have to wonder what a Jewish person is thinking. Because if a Jewish person is thinking something, we say that something. So these people were different, and they talked funny. And what I mean by that is they used these words, these terms of art, these loaded phrases. I didn't find them familiar. I didn't understand them. It was like I felt like they were speaking a different language or, or at least an unfamiliar dialect of a language that I thought I understood, which was English. Like, you ever have that feeling? I had the feeling at law school a lot. I know this is my mother tongue, and I can't understand a word they're saying. But I'd given my life to Jesus So I was intent on staying there, and it took me about three years. It took me three years to acclimate. It took me three years before I began to understand why I had that initial impression. Eventually, I I came to realize that that church, like most churches, had built its church culture for church people. And what I mean by that is this. If you were a church person, that church was a perfect place to be. It was designed to be a great church for people that wanted to go to church. Having not grown up in a church culture, it was tough for me to shake that feeling that it wasn't for me, that it wasn't my place. And I have to admit, I started to wonder at that point, is this Jesus guy really for me? But I kept going to church. And eventually, my wife came along, and our sons joined us later, and and our faith grew while we were attending. And I soon started getting involved. My wife talked me into helping out in the nursery, and I did that. And then we worked in the children's ministry for a few years. We taught kindergarten and first grade, which, by the way, is really cool because now all those kids are grown ups and it's fun to see them around town. They remember me as their kindergarten, first grade Sunday school teacher. But I began to meet people there. And I began to meet people who are now my friends. They've become my lifelong friends. So I kept going and I got involved and I kept going back. And after a while, I found myself on the radar of the senior pastor, David Nicholas, Dr. David Nicholas, who some of you guys remember. He passed away about 10 years ago, but we still talk about him. And David invited me another invitation to enroll in seminary. I had no intention of doing anything professional with this notion, but I didn't know anything. And I figured graduate school was a good way to learn. In seminary, my knowledge grew exponentially. So fast forward a few years. I graduated seminary. The church leadership invited me to leave my practice and come on staff as a pastor. And about a year later, I was able to do so. I was named the Assistant Pastor of Community Life. And for the next few years, I got to see what it was like to work inside of a church. And before long, I came to understand exactly why it took me so long to get comfortable in a church that was filled with the nicest people. Well, I found the church so uncomfortable because it wasn't designed to be comfortable for me. It was designed to be comfortable for church people. It was designed to be comfortable for people who want to be in church, who are attracted to a church. And so that explained why whenever I wanted to invite somebody else who wasn't a church person, somebody else who wasn't inherently attracted to a church, I hesitated. And it explained why when I did invite somebody... I found myself sitting next to them, you know, like on a hot plate, just waiting for something wrong to be said, just waiting for something to be said. where I would go like I listened intently to every word coming out of David's mouth. And I thought the message of Jesus is going to get lost in all this churchiness and the person won't understand. You know, it's interesting when you hear stuff like that and you're a church person, it doesn't faze you at all. You don't even notice it's happening. You're used to it. You're used to, you know, bless you and praise this and all that. I mean, that's church language. Church people don't notice. But non-church people, unchurched people, let me tell you something. They tune it out. And typically, they don't come back. But I knew at that moment when I figured that out, I want to be a part of a church that unchurched people love to attend. I knew that I wanted to be a part of a church community where Jesus was predominant, where churchiness would feel out of place. And God began to prepare me for the day that I would soon lead such a community. Well, one of the things I did at that church while I was working there was I got to work with the youth ministry. There's a picture of us on a mission. I don't know if you can find me in there. It's old, but if you look closely, you can. And with the youth group, I got to preach to them. I got to help out with the uh, Wednesday night group. I got to mentor some of the students. And eventually, I got to lead this mission. It was a week-long mission. We took to Mexico, and we got to do some teaching. We taught some kids in a remote Mayan village, which was really cool. They didn't speak English. They didn't speak Spanish. They spoke Mayan. But we were able to teach them about Jesus. And we actually got to work on building, like building a building. Like We built a church, which, by the way, every so often I wake up in a cold sweat thinking, somebody is walking on a second or third floor that I had something to do with building. And I don't know that that's a good idea, but you know, there we are. But there was something about youth ministry that kind of hit differently. And before long, it became clear to me why it was different. And youth ministry was done in English, not in Christianese. So you could understand every lesson and you could apply every single thing you learned. And the volunteers in youth ministry were different than other volunteers in the church. They were much more excited and much more committed. They they were like way into it. They were fully engaged in every aspect of of youth worship, the the singing and and the message and the Bible studies. I, I think the adult volunteers were more excited about the ministry than the students most of the time. And finally, and most importantly, it was in youth ministry that I saw how previously unchurched people could quickly become an active part of a healthy community of Jesus followers. So I was working with the youth ministry that changed things for me. Youth ministry was a game changer. And I thought to myself, if I ever lead a church, I want the vibe to feel like that. So in 2009, there was another invitation. I was invited to visit a small church in West Boca. That church hadn't had a pastor in 18 months and they needed a fresh start. So they came to my church and they asked for a pastor and my church sent me over to pastor that place. And they gave me one directive. They said this, build a gospel-centered church and lead people to Jesus, which is precisely what I intended to do. And that small church became, as you know, Hammock Street Church. And from the outset, our mission was to make sure that it wasn't a typical church. We knew we needed to create a different kind of church, a church where people who weren't used to church or who were never comfortable in church would find authenticity and would find community and would find the power of a life lived for Jesus. We wanted to be a community in which people could connect with God in a real way, in an authentic way, and in a practical way. We wanted to foster an environment that was comfortable, that was appealing. We wanted to be a place where people were engaged by the message and the music and would feel good about bringing their friends and their relatives and their neighbors. We wanted people to see that, as as Andy Stanley likes to say, following Jesus will make your life better. And make you better at life. We knew that the New Testament reflected the fact that men and women who followed Jesus. Who eventually came to believe that he was the son of God. These men and women actually started following him long before they came to that conclusion. Long before they were true believers. And they recognized that reality. So we wanted to have a community that gave people the same space. That you could keep coming back to even if you don't buy into all of it. And you can come to that realization on your own. We envisioned a community where adults love to be and where students could connect with God in such a way that when they became adults, they'd be able to build upon their faith and not abandon their faith. And they could become lifelong Jesus followers. I, I like to talk about this. I have two sons, as I've said. My sons are 25 and 27. They're still Jesus followers because they were able to grow up in that kind of environment. And lest anyone think... That I'm being some kind of radical and we're breaking all sorts of Christian rules here by doing it. We're not. We made sure that everything we did was 100% biblical. So check this out. As we've talked about quite a bit, in the early days of the Jesus movement, the majority of believers were Jewish, which makes perfect sense if you think about it. Jesus and all of his disciples were Jewish. And Jesus was a rabbi. That's the Hebrew word for teacher. And as such, Jesus made frequent references to the Hebrew Bible. We call that the Old Testament. And Jesus firmly rooted all of his teachings in the Hebrew Bible. He said many times, as it is written, or you've heard it written, that's what he's talking about, the Old Testament. And as time went on, as the Old Testament prophets had predicted, more and more Gentiles started following Jesus as well. So then about 20 years or so after the resurrection, so you're roughly talking early to mid-50s A.D., an issue arose among the new Jesus followers. A split was developing, a rift was developing between the Jesus followers that were Jewish, the Jewish believers, and the Jesus followers that were Gentiles, the Gentile believers. One more word for you. The word Gentile is a derivation of the Hebrew word and also the Yiddish word goy. If you're Jewish, you know the word, and you know it as a slur, and you can't believe I just said it out loud, but it isn't really a slur. It's just sort of used that way sometimes. Goy is the word for Gentile. The plural of goy is goyim. But basically, it just translates to the word nations, which means essentially every other nation other than the nation of Israel. That's all it means. Anyway, the Jewish leaders were arguing at what we know of as the Jerusalem Council. And the Jewish leaders were arguing that if a Gentile wanted to become a follower of Jesus, the Gentile had to first become a Jew. They had to become a Jew before they could become a Christian. Now, as we've talked about before, at least for the men, if they were going to become a Jew, that required some surgery. Adults were required to have an intimate surgery, which was a real dissuading factor in those days. But they said that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian because Jesus was Jewish and they saw Jesus's ministry as an extension of Judaism. But other people said, no, Christianity isn't an extension of Judaism. It's just a continuation. Judaism gave rise to Christianity. So anyway, they battered this back and forth. And ultimately the church leaders decided that men and women did not have to become Jewish first, to which all the men went, whew, you know, Okay, we'll go. We'll go back. And, and they decided that God had used the Jewish nation to birth this new thing that was not just for that one nation anymore, but was for the whole world, was for all the nations. And it was in that meeting that James stood up and said this. This is Acts 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Okay? So they were talking about making it very difficult, surgery, and becoming Jewish. And now James says, nope, we're not going to make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to God. The younger brother of Jesus, James, told the Jerusalem council, we should make it as easy as humanly possible for people who are interested in getting to know Jesus to get to know him. Now, I I like to tell people, I'm glad that I met Jesus before I met his church. And the longer I've been around church, the more I know what a good statement that was. And if if you have found your faith, or if you've reconnected with your faith, or if you've deepened your faith after starting here at Hammock Street, you can say the same thing. You're meeting Jesus. You're not really meeting the church or religion. (laughs) Every week, we do all that we can do here to make it simple for you to enter into an authentic relationship with Jesus, a relationship with the God of the universe, not so you can be proud that you go to church or so that you can earn brownie points on on some weird cosmic sliding scale to convince God that somehow you deserve his favor. But we do it so you can bring glory to God and experience the fullness of the life he has made you for. Our vision for all of this is summed up in these three words, real community life. We stuck it on the wall in the lobby so everybody would know these words. In these words, you can find everything that we're about, and I'll explain that to you briefly. When we say real, we're talking about authenticity. First, the authenticity of a true, committed relationship with Jesus the authenticity of a relationship with Jesus in which you have confidence. You can be confident about your faith and you can understand your faith in a way, in, in the way that God works in our lives. You can see it. You can see it working out in your life. It's real, it's authentic. And we help you along in that through teaching on Sunday like this and through our small group studies during the week. Our sermons and our sermon series are intentionally designed to help you get to know God better. And to help you to understand the way in which God created you to live the life that he has blessed you with. To live your best life. I hate to quote that, but that's exactly what it is. And our small groups are designed to help you go deeper. To lead you to a place where your faith is your own. So you can make your faith your own by studying the scripture. If you're not part of a small group community, you're missing out. Now, there's another meaning to the word real. And... That refers to the authenticity of the people sitting around you, the Hammock Street people, every person. People who work here, paid ministry staff, people on leadership, people who volunteer, people who make up our community. Everybody that I've met here is real. And when I think of real, it kind of runs through my head. No fakes, no phonies, no Pharisees. And we have a lot of real people here. We are a community of real, regular people who have unique gifts and talents who truly love Jesus. Now, just for an example, take our deacons. Deacons are the officers of the church to whom God has assigned the responsibility of caring for the physical needs of our community. We have about a dozen or so active deacons. Most of them have over the years confided in me, I don't have any idea why you picked me to be a deacon. I have no idea why I was chosen to be a deacon because they know they're not qualified. And that kind of humility is exactly why they were chosen. That kind of humility is exactly what makes them real. These guys, and I hope you get to know them, are some of the finest men I've ever known. And, and our elders are the same way. Elders are also biblical officers that are responsible for the spiritual needs of the church and for the operation of the church. They're authentic. They're approachable. They have wisdom to spare. And then there's our people as a whole. We've designed Hammock Street so it can always be a place where we can be intimate. We can get to know each other. We made sure that will always be a place where I can come in on a Sunday morning and and say hello and chat with you and find out about your family and see how your week went and see how you're doing. We do everything to make sure that you never get the feeling that anyone is trying to be something that they're not or trying to sell you something that you don't want. Hammock Street Church is real. Now, when we say community... We're referring to all of us, to everybody here. Remember, as we've discussed, the word church is, is a misnomer. We shouldn't really use the word church. Church means place of worship. But, a, but the Bible calls us to be an ecclesia, to be a community, a called-out community, a community of people who are motivated by different things than the rest of the world, who are motivated by love, who are motivated by our love for God and our love for each other and our love for people that we don't want to love. And all of that's motivated by our faith in Jesus. That's what it means to be a community. And when we say life, we talk about the way that we're all here to do this together, to do life together. Now, if our COVID experience over the last two years taught us anything, it taught us that sometimes it's okay to take a break from people. It did take us that. But it also taught us that when it comes down to it, we do need each other. We need to be around each other. Life is just better when you live it with other people. That's what life means. But life also means something else. Something maybe deeper. Life means the eternal life that we receive when we belong to Jesus. When we reference life, it reminds us of the centrality of what we call the gospel. God's good news the centrality of the gospel to hammock streets. It's our goal to, to help everyone understand what we talked about during communion, that we're all born into a sin stained world, that we were all born disconnected from and dead to the God of the universe, which makes it impossible for us to be in a relationship with him on our own and result in our eternal separation from him and everything that is good that comes from his hand. But we also make sure that everyone understands that God loved us so much. That he sent to earth Jesus, God the Son, who was virgin, born, and Holy Spirit conceived. And Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life that we cannot. But out of his love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. To bear all our sins and to die in our place. And having paid for all of our sins, Jesus came back from the dead. And he ascended to heaven and he promised to one day return. So we can all live eternally connected to God. And if understanding this truth, we surrender our lives to him Our hearts are renewed. Our hearts are revived. And we become a part of God's kingdom. We have been granted eternal life. A life connected to God forever and ever. And that's what the word life means also. That's the reason Jesus came. Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It is our deepest desire To reach our entire area from Boynton Beach to Margate from Boca and Parkland and Coral Springs and Coconut Creek and all the places in between. To reach all these people and introduce them to the love of Jesus. And to introduce them to the love of Jesus' followers. That's why we're a partner church of North Point Community Church in Atlanta. That's why we belong to the Irresistible Church Network. We're committed to being an irresistible church. God's word is irresistible. And if you find yourself able to resist it, somebody is telling it to you incorrectly. We are committed to making it as easy as possible to come to Jesus. And we are serious about removing everything and anything that makes it unnecessarily difficult. We want to be known as a church that unchurched people love to attend. And the word is getting out. But we can do so much more. I'll tell you, legitimately, every week, people come up to me after the message and they say, how did I not know about Hammock Street Church? Why why doesn't everyone in town know about this community? I didn't know a church like this existed. What can I do to help? And as we wrap up this morning, I want to answer those questions with a single word. Invite. We're a community designed not by church people for church people, but by church people for people who were far from God. And are now interested in God. And that's why we built this awesome space. And that's why we made it open and welcoming and and comfortable. Because it reflects our people. Our people are open and welcoming and comfortable. And that's why we're committed to serving our community through our work. We did a beach cleanup yesterday on Deerfield Beach. We collected 53 pounds of garbage. Little bit at a time. One straw at a time. We also participate with local ministries, Boca Helping Hands, Habitat for Humanity, Food for the Poor. We have so much work. We're assisting with a church plant up in Riviera Beach, in the inner city up in West Palm Beach. I mean, we do so much work. But we can't reach our full God-given potential without you, without you folks. All of you here in person, here online, you all are Hammock Street Church. And so I have something to ask of you will you please agree to invite somebody to Hammock street church? I know you already know this, but I'm going to say it again. Anyway, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to invite someone to church. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to be a good person really to invite someone. Every one of us can say, no, come and see. You can say, I can't answer your questions, but come and see, come and see what God's all about at Hammock street. Because, As people who've been a part of what we're doing know very well when people who have been beaten up by sin and are facing the consequences of sin come and spend some time around the Jesus followers here at Hammock Street, something special happens. And it's happened here over and over and over again. But you know where we're located. We're a bit off the beaten path. We're not on a main road. We're on a residential road. And we're next to an elementary school. And we've got a middle school and a high school close by. People don't usually find us because they were just driving down Hammock Street. Nobody drives down Hammock Street unless you live here. People find us on the internet or more often by invitation. As I told you this morning When I started, I'm here because of an invitation. And so is Beth. And so are a whole bunch of you. And when you got here, you started to see it also. You started to understand. We're not your typical church. And we don't want to be. The children don't seem oppressed. They look like they're pretty happy to be here. They look like they actually love being here. Because they do love being here. And the people don't seem to be all judgy like you'd expect church people to be. They actually seem genuinely friendly and warm because they are. Our greeters are interested in greeting you. They're interested in getting to know you. They probably joked around with you. If you got to meet Matt when you walked in, he probably punched you in the ribs. He teaches karate. He punches people in the ribs. It's a thing. The sanctuary wasn't set up to be stuffy and serious. It's set up to be comfortable and, and contemporary. It more like an in, intimate concert venue or like a comedy club than a cathedral. And the pastor... He didn't seem all that pious. He actually seemed kind of goofy, which he is, so I'm told. And even if you didn't believe everything that was being said, you left thinking, hmm, I'd like to spend a little more time here. And that's how your faith journey began. It began with an invitation. An invitation is, the power, is a powerful thing and you have the power to give it away to any person you wish. The key to us remaining a church that unchurched people love to attend is you and your willingness to invite your unchurched friends and your unchurched family and your unchurched neighbors to join us. Hammockstreet should be your first thought when you meet a person or think of a person that's hit a roadblock. When you meet or think of a person or a couple that's struggling, when you meet or think of a person who has a, a problem child, a prodigal child, and they don't even know how to pray. Or, or they're not even sure about prayer at all. We want to be that place about which you feel confident in telling them you need to come to Hammock Street. Because that's who we are. And the only way for us to keep on doing what we do is for you to engage and for you to invite. Now, why am I telling you all this today? Well, Easter is coming up in four weeks. Four weeks till Easter. Easter is one of the easiest times of the year to invite somebody to church. If people know you go to church, they actually expect you to invite them to church on Easter. They might not want to go, but they actually expect you to invite them. So we want to help you do that. Now, when you walked in the room this morning, you were handed two things. You were handed a purple cross made of paper and an Easter invitation. So here's what we'd like you to do. First, I want you to write on the cross the first name or just the initials of the person that you would like to invite to church for Easter. And when you leave the room after we're through, take that cross, cross the lobby, and hang it on the prayer wall. Got these little clips, just hang it up there on the prayer wall. And if you can, take a moment when you hang it, just pray for that person. And then second, give that person the purple invitation card that we gave you. Now, we're going to leave those crosses on the prayer wall up until Easter and through Easter, During the week when we're here, we're going to pray over those crosses. We're going to pray for those people. And by the way, if you come back next week or the week after and you have another name, we'll give you another one. Okay? We'll give you as many crosses as you ask for, as many invitations as you need for however many people you want to invite. And we're going to be praying over them every day. Now, I'd love it if you got into this little assignment. Set an alarm maybe on your phone to remind you every day between now and Easter Sunday Just take a moment and ask God to bring to mind the name of another person that you can ask to join us for Easter. Keep your eyes open. Keep your your ears open for anyone in your world whom you know needs Jesus. And when you see someone struggling, when you see someone who's sad or lonely or who's lost their way, invite them to experience the love of God here at Hammock Street. Okay, just so you know, on Easter, we're going to have two identical services, one at 9, one at 1045. Invite as many people as you can. The more, the merrier. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're done. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to an extended invitation? You don't really know, actually. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your resistance to an extended invitation? Well, you don't really know that either. But here's what we do know. Almost every single defining moment in your life had an invitation involved. See, we have no idea what hangs in the balance. If we finally invite that friend or that relative or that neighbor or even that person we see at Starbucks every day or we see at Publix a few times a week, if we invite them to come to Hammock Street Church, we don't know what hangs in the balance. But God knows. And God's in the business of bringing people to himself. So if you're part of Hammock Street Church and somebody invited you here, are you mad at that person? You're not. You're you're grateful for that person. And there's somebody in the future who's going to be grateful for you because you took the time and you had the courage to invite. You have the power to change the trajectory of someone's entire life and the life of their children and maybe even the life of their grandchildren simply by inviting them to Hammock Street Church. So, are you with me? Let's get to inviting. And then let's see what God does. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Once again, just to talk about what we're doing here and to kind of get everybody interested and excited and telling their friends and telling the world that Jesus saves, that Jesus changes lives, that that when we're living a life connected to you, life is so much better. And we can bring you so much glory. So God, As we are dismissed from here today, we ask that you fill our hearts with love and care for the people that we know. And you help us, God, to reach out and invite them into a relationship with you. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.